Today on Awaken to Grace, we're in Genesis chapter 26. We're following Isaac as he redug the wells of his father. Today we're going to talk about redigging spiritual wells in our life and how we can access God and the amazing spiritual life that comes through the Spirit of God uh, in the water that we find in these wells. Well, today I hope that you enjoy, and I want to invite you to check out our weekly podcast. It's called Awakened to Grace with Chad Roberts. You can find it wherever you get your favorite podcast. Hello, I want to welcome you this morning. I'm so glad that you are inviting me into your home, whether that's through your television or laptop or tablet or phone or whatever device that you're watching or listening through today. It means a great deal to me that you have invited me to share scripture with you. Well, my name is Chad Roberts. I pastor Preaching Christ Church, and today I want to share with you some thoughts out of Genesis 26. I want to invite you to turn there with me if you want to follow along in the Bible with me so that you can see for yourself what Scripture has to say as we relate this and we, re- we apply it to our everyday life. In this portion of Scripture, we're going to study uh, in a, a section of Isaac's life. Now, Isaac was the son of Abraham. He was the father of Esau and Jacob. That's why so often the Bible says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, we so often focus on Isaac's early life, his childhood, because this is the same Isaac in the Bible that Abraham was the sacrifice to God on Mount Moriah. And so we focus on his childhood and and what God did, and even how he was born, which is uh, an incredible story of itself. And then we focus later in his life when he became the father of Isaac and Jacob. But what we miss so often is this middle portion. And that's where I want to be today. He and his wife, Rebecca, are facing a severe famine, according to verse 1 in Genesis 26. And what Isaac is going to do is he's going to begin to redig the wells of his father, Abraham. I want to talk today about what those wells represent in our own lives. I want to talk about what it means for Christians today to go back to our spiritual heritage, to go back to the things that God wants to do in us and the opportunities that God wants to give us. And I want to clearly define what it means for you and I to dig spiritual wells. I want to talk about what the water represents. I want to talk about what the earth represents as the Philistines tried to clog these wells, tried to fill them with dirt and rock. And I want to talk about what that means. And I just want to unfold this chapter, unpack it so that we can get a great deal of application for our own lives so we can live closer to the Lord. Now, if you notice in verse one, the Bible says that there was a famine in the land that was greater than the famine of his father, Abraham. 
What we're going to see in this chapter and in this portion of Isaac's life is that history tends to repeat itself. Now, I'm fascinated with this, especially with the time period that you and I are living in right now. History so often repeats itself. It was President Abraham Lincoln who said, no one can escape history for it repeats itself. And it indeed does. The famine that Abraham, his father, had went through. Isaac is now going through a worse famine. My thoughts here lately, as all of us are involved uh, in this coronavirus, this shutdown, this quarantine that has gripped so much of our country. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately. If you'll just follow me for a moment, and I just want to share with you where my mind has been. I think our churches would be flooded right now if we were able to access our building. I'm actually preaching in an empty building right now, and I have been for weeks. I'm used to the hustle and bustle of of this building being full and vibrant and full of life. And oh, how different it is to preach to a camera in an empty building. But do you know what the beauty that I see is? I really believe that there are many of you that are watching and you're listening right now. And this is what I think the Lord is allowing right now. That for you, it's not about church. It's not about how you dress or what you would wear or if you would feel comfortable or if you would know what to do. or It's not about those things of going to a building. Instead, it's becoming about the message. And the message is not only coming into your home, it's coming into your heart. It's coming into your way of thinking. And I believe that many of you are listening and you're hearing teaching and preaching of God's word. You're hearing it different than you've ever listened to it. And many of you are thinking about the state of your life. You're thinking about your relationship with God. And God is drawing you to himself. And it's not about a building right now. It's not about you entering into an unfamiliar church. No, it's just about you and the Lord. And I think that's what the Lord's doing right now. But as history so often repeats itself, this is where my mind has been. You know what I understand of the 1920s, they call that decade the Roaring Twenties. What I understand of the Roaring Twenties is that it was much like American life today. In the Twenties, many families had jobs. Many families had money. People were investing in the stock market. American life was quite prosperous. And as a result... Many Americans walked away from their faith. They walked away from God. But what happened in October 1929? History. The stock market crashed. And then what happened in the 30s? As the stock market tried to regain its foothold and the economy had a downturn, and then came the Great Depression. And you know what happened when the Great Depression came in the 30s? American families flocked back to God. American families 
got back into church. They got serious about God. They got serious about their relationship with God. You know what, my friends? I think we're going to see the same thing happen. I think, uh, now, what the economy does, no one knows. It could be that uh, after all of this is said and done, uh, Americans, uh, you know, they just go and they spend money and, and the economy comes back up. Or it could be like 29 where it, it tried to rise in the 30s, in the 30 and 31, but ultimately it crashed. Who knows? I don't know what we'll see in that regard. But I think that many Americans are reevaluating their life. They're, re, they're, they're, they're looking at what their priorities are and they're reprioritizing things in their life. And, and I think God is using this time to let his message come straight into people's homes as it is yours today. And I'm thankful for this. I hope that you'll receive the word of God today. I hope that you'll listen with different ears. I hope that God will change your way of thinking, your way of feeling, and I hope that God is doing a deep and a great work in your life right now. So I want to talk to people today that you desire to know God more. I want to talk to people today that will recognize that God has more for your life and God not only wants you to know him more, he wants to know you more. And and, and there's this great relationship that God wants with us and that we should want with him. And what happened with Isaac in this chapter, and I just want to walk you through some of this because this is really speaking into my life right now and I believe it will speak directly into yours. Isaac is facing a severe famine. You know, the Bible says in the book of Amos in verse 8 that one day there'll be a famine in the land. And and Scripture says it's not a famine of food and drink, but a famine of God's word. Could we not say that of society today? And as Isaac faced this famine, his thought was go down to Egypt. Well, what's that mean? Egypt was always a temptation because Egypt had the security of the great Nile River. And Egypt was well watered. And so the temptation was to go to Egypt where the water was. But no, God said, Isaac, I want you to stay in the land. Why? Because this is a place that God will bless you. Even though it's in the midst of a famine, God will still bless you. I want to say to many of you, sometimes, yes, it takes faith to move. It takes faith to get up and obey and go do something. But listen, sometimes it takes more faith to stay where you are. And I know by the Spirit of God that there are some listening to my voice today that I want to encourage you. I want to plead with you. I want to beg you on behalf of the Lord today. Don't up and go. Don't walk away from your spouse. Don't leave your children. Don't face, don't don't look for something where it seems like it's more comfortable or it seems like it's more well-watered or as the old saying goes, the grass is greener on the other side. And some of you right now, you're looking to make a move. You're looking to move out of state. You're looking to move out of town. You're looking to move careers. You're looking to move relationships or another marriage. 
And I'm telling you by the authority of the Spirit of God today, there are many of you listening. You need to stay right where you are because God will bless you right where you are. And things may look hard and things may not look promising. Things may not look good for you right now. Your marriage may be in a famine. Your job may be in a famine. Your income may be in a famine. Your health may be in a famine. Your spiritual life may feel like a famine. And it may be that you're facing the famine of your life. But I am telling you, God has the ability to bless you in the midst of a famine just as he did Isaac. And the Bible says that Isaac stayed in the land. He sowed into the land. And the Bible says he gave, that God gave Isaac a hundredfold and God blessed him this same year. Why? Because he didn't move. Sometimes it takes greater faith to stay in what God has you than to move. I don't know who I'm preaching to. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know who this is for. But I know the Holy Spirit's telling me to implore with you, to beg you, to plead with you, do not move. Stay where you are, for God will bless you. Now, Isaac begins to redig the wells. Now, let's talk about this for just a moment. What, what do these wells symbolize? You know, in our culture today, we don't think about water as much as we should especially clean water. Um, uh, you know, I've got four young children and our house is always busy. Our house is always loud and there's always activity going on. You know, we don't think about all of the water that cycles through our homes. We have the laundry machine going we have the dishwasher going we have the sink going we have we're taking showers and baths and we we just always we have all this water flowing through we we don't think about how precious of a thing that clean water is if you've traveled very much you've probably been to areas of the world where they don't have clean water I've been to many, many areas of the world where they pour a glass of water and the water's brown. It's not clean. I was in Africa some years ago preaching village to village in the country of Malawi. And a young man who was with me, he was in his early 20s, and he drank some mango juice at our hotel and did not realize that the specific juice that he drank were not for foreigners. It was mixed with local water. Our pastor friend, who was from South Africa, told my young friend, said, get ready. We were flying out that evening, and he said, get ready because you're about to get very, very sick. Well, not only did my friend have a miserable plane ride home, but once he got back home, he was from New Hampshire, and once he got home, my friend was hospitalized because of the bacteria in the water. It really messed him up. We don't think about clean water like we should. It's, a, it's just a thing for us, but in particularly in our text, in Bible days, Water was a luxury. You didn't waste water. It, it was precious. 
It meant something. So a well was a blessing from God. A well was an access point to clean, fresh water. Abraham is going to be mentioned eight times in this chapter. Now, what do we say? History repeats itself. I'm not going to get into all of the detail today, but Isaac lies about his wife, Rebekah, being his sister instead of his wife because he was afraid they would kill him. Abraham, his father, did the exact same sin in the country of Egypt. He lied about Sarah being his sister rather than his wife. Again, history repeats itself. And Abraham is going to be mentioned eight times in this chapter. The phrase your father or father, the word father is going to be mentioned six times in this chapter. And Isaac is going to repeat some things from his father. Well, Abraham was known for two things, building altars and building wells. (laughs) The altars would symbolize the way that he gave himself to the Lord, the way he worshiped to the Lord. They were a precious thing. But wells were a blessing from God. And Abraham dug wells. Well, when Abraham died, the text tells us, the Philistines clogged the wells. Now, this is highly interesting. The Philistines were the cousins to the Jews here. Uh, The Philistines descended from Ham. Abraham and the Jewish people descended from Shem. They were cousins. Ham and Shem were brothers, and so these were cousins. They didn't get along very well. And when Abraham died, the Philistines took dirt, took stone, and they clogged the wells. Well, what's this say to us? Well, do you know what water represents in the Bible? This, uh, I want you to follow me. And if you, if you like, you're even welcome to take notes because these are things that would be good to go back and, and look over and think about. Water in Scripture represents several things. Number one, still water uh, represents the Word of God. Does Psalm 23 not say, He leads me beside still waters to restoreth my soul? Still water represents Scripture, represents the Word of God. But rushing water, flowing water, represents the Holy Spirit. It represents the work that God wants to do in our life. Water in the Bible represents salvation. Did Jesus not tell the woman at the well? He said in John chapter 4, he said, you drink the water out of this well and you'll be coming back to it for more. But Jesus said, you drink the water that I will give you. And Jesus said, you'll never thirst again. Hallelujah. Water in the Bible represents God. The Bible says, Jeremiah 2.13, listen to what it says. But my people have committed two evils. God says, my people committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain, or in other words, the head or the source of living water. And secondly, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So think about this. What does water 
represent? We're talking about redigging wells. What's water represent? It represents God Himself. It represents salvation. It represents the Word of God. It represents the Holy Spirit. In other words, the spiritual life that God wants to give us, the spiritual joy that God wants to give us, the spiritual satisfaction that God wants to give us, it is all in this water of life. And Jesus said, those who drink of this water of life, Jesus said, out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. Scripture says that believers will be like a well-watered gardens that our waters will not fail. But there is a problem in, in Isaac's case. And then it's the same problem that comes into our lives today. The enemy had clogged up his wells. The enemy had thrown in dirt and stone and and now instead of accessing clean and pure water, you could not get to the water. And I want to show you today that the enemy will do the same thing in your life. See, it's fascinating that, that the well represents an access point to God. It is a blessing. It is there for our benefit. It's there for our enjoyment. But when water is dirty, when the water's filled with mud and it's filled with dirt and it's filled with clay and it's filled with stone, there's not an access point. And so what do we have to do? We have to do the hard work of digging out that junk. Just as the water represents the Holy Spirit and it represents the work that God will do in our life, well, the dirt, the earth, all of that, the stone and the dirt, that represents our flesh. It represents our enemy. It represents that sometimes we're in our own way. You know, it's interesting when I think about the enemy, perhaps you don't know this, but, but please note this. Do you know that a Christian has three enemies? The Bible teaches about three enemies that we have. Number one, there is Satan and his kingdom. Oh, what a great enemy to the people of God. You realize Satan hates you? Do you realize that spiritual wickedness, spiritual Forces, what, what the Bible, what Paul called these principles and authorities, that's the hierarchy of Satan's kingdom. Do you, do you know how much they hate you? They hate your marriage. They hate your children. They hate the life of God that's inside you. Oh, they hate you. And our enemy, we have three of them, Satan and his kingdom. Number two, the world. Now, a lot of times we don't think about what the world means. When the Bible talks about things being worldly, it's not talking about planet, earth, the world as we know it as the physical world. No, it's talking about that spiritual system that opposes God. It's talking about what opposes spiritual life in your own everyday life. So, for example, there are probably things during this quarantine that you're allowing into your home certain programs, certain television, certain Hulu or Netflix or music or movies or whatever that in reality it's, it's worldly. What do you mean worldly, Chad? It opposes God. It opposes spiritual growth. It opposes the life of God. 
There are certain things that we can allow to creep into our life. If we allow ourselves to gossip, that's worldliness. If we allow our minds to lust, that's worldliness. If we allow uh, a greed into our heart, that's worldliness. What is worldliness? It's whatever opposes spiritual growth. It's whatever cools our affections toward Jesus. Worldliness. So the enemies of a Christian are, number one, Satan and his kingdom. Number two, worldliness, that system that opposes God, that constantly attacks us, that it constantly tries to get, it, it tries to pull us away from the Lord. That's worldliness. And then lastly, our flesh. What an enemy. Our flesh, the Bible teaches that our spirit that God has converted and God has saved, our spirit is always at war with our flesh. (laughs) That's why Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. That was his flesh and his spirit opposing each other. And you and I fight that same battle. And what you and I have to do is we have to understand that what Satan is going to do is clog our wells. What are meant as blessings, what are meant as access points to the Lord, he wants to kick in dirt. He wants to throw in stones. He wants to make muddy water. He wants to get it to where you can't access what God truly wants to do in your life. You can't access God the way you need to access God. And so what does he use? Satan and his kingdom, the world, and certainly our flesh. Those are the three enemies that try to oppose our spiritual growth. So what do you and I have to do? We have to do the work of redigging the wells. We've got to remove the dirt. We've got to remove the sin. We've got to remove the laziness. We've got to remove the apathy. Because here's the fact, my friend. This is what I truly want you to see. This is, this is the whole point of today's message. There are some of you who are so thirsty right now. You don't understand why you're so thirsty. You don't understand why you desire a new partner. You don't understand why you desire a new job or a move all of a sudden or just a new life. You don't know why you're so thirsty. Can I talk to you for a moment as a pastor with a, with a pastor's heart? Can I talk to you for a moment as a shepherd to say, let me share with you, my friend, the word of God. The reason why you're so thirsty is because there is nothing that will quench your soul other than God, who is the fountain of living water. Nothing's going to satisfy your longings. Nothing's going to satisfy your cravings. Nothing's going to satisfy your desires apart from God. You know, if you're like me, there are times you get exceptionally thirsty. And when I get very thirsty, do you know nothing will quench it apart from water? I can drink juice. It just makes me more thirsty. I can drink milk. makes me more thirsty. I can drink a Coke and it makes me more thirsty. There isn't anything that will quench 
my thirst other than water. And that's the glory of water is that it quenches, it satisfies. And some of you listening to me today, you're so dissatisfied and you don't understand why. And Satan would tell you, oh, listen, my friend, he'll clog, he'll clog, he'll clog the well. He'll clog the well. And he's tried to tell you you're not satisfied because of your spouse. He'll try to tell you you're not satisfied because you're in a dead-end job. He'll tell you you're not satisfied because you don't have enough money. He'll tell you you're not satisfied until you buy that major purchase that you want to buy. And do you know what those things are like? They're like a mirage in the desert. Oh, it looks like water. That affair looks like satisfying water. That new career looks like satisfying water. But let me tell you what it is, my friend. It's a mirage. And the moment that you began to drink what you think is soul-satisfying water, do you know what it is? It's just mud. That's all it is. Why? Because Satan has clogged the well. And what you need for your soul is what only God can give. Soul-satisfying water. So are you someone that you have sought water to satisfy, to quench, but all it is is mud? Are you finding that true in your life? Could it be, could it be that the problem is not your marriage? Could it be that the problem is your soul? Could it be that the problem is not your boss or your job? The problem is your soul. The problem, could it be that the problem is not that you don't live in that house you want or you don't drive what you want or you can't do that vacation that you want or whatever else that we chase in life. Could it be that the real problem is your soul? And you say, well, Chad, what do I do? You redig the well. You go back to this great spiritual heritage that's been given to us. These great access points to God that we have. And do you know what they are? Let me just share a couple with you. If you'll begin to redig the well of prayer in your life, I'm talking real prayer. I'm not talking about prayer that's one-sided conversations. God, this is what I'd like to have. God, these are my needs. This is what I'm asking you for. You know, for most of us, our prayer lives are just a big wish list. I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. I'm not talking about prayer that's one-sided conversation where it's you telling God what you would like him to do as though he is a genie in a bottle. No, I'm talking about real prayer where you get alone with God, you turn things off, you turn your tablet off, you turn your phone off, and you sit before the Lord, and you say, God, what do you want for my life? You know, real prayer is not just us talking, it is us listening. And when you begin to listen for God in your life, friends, he'll talk to you. What would it be if you began to redig? The well, the, 
What's a well? It's an access point. See, you and I can't come up with water. We don't have to. The water is already there. What we have to do is bust through the the dirt. We got to bust through the rock. We've got to do the part. We have to do our part of digging it out to get to where the pure water flows. And some of you are waiting on God to do something in your life. And you know what God's waiting for? He's waiting for you to dig. (laughs) He's waiting for you to get serious. The water's there. We got to dig through the rock and the mud and the dirt to get to it. And how do you do that? Well, you begin to get serious about prayer. And the deeper you pray, the longer, not, not in one set, the longer in time, the more consistent, that's the word I'm looking for. The more consistent you pray, the longer you spend that consistency in praying, the deeper you're going to dig and the cleaner water you're going to find. Begin to dig the wells of Scripture. How many of us, we, we're all over the Internet right now. The Internet is just bogged down. But how many of us are in Scripture? What would your life be like if you made your decisions guided by Scripture? What would your life be like if you took your dilemmas and said, Lord, I'm asking you, Answer this dilemma with your word. What would your life, how would your life be different? Begin to redig these wells, these, these beautiful wells that God has given us to access the life that he has for us. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're chasing in life. It may be relationships. It may be money, it may be ambition, it may be success, whatever it is. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, it's muddy water and it's never going to satisfy. The only thing that will satisfy is the fountain of living water, which is God. And you say, Chad, how do I access it? You got to redig the well. Do the hard work of getting out your spiritual shovel and do the hard work of saying, God, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to spend time in your word, and I'm going to get Satan out of the way, I'm going to get worldliness out of my life, hallelujah. The more worldliness you get, the cleaner, the more worldliness you remove out of your life, the cleaner water you're going to have access to. And then you say, God, I'm going to get me out of the way. My flesh, my consumerism, my, this whole thing that all of life is about me. God, I'm going to get that out of the way. And as you redig these wells, you know what you're going to find? You're going to access the cleanest, most pure, most satisfying water that your soul has ever drank. And it's gonna bring great blessing into your life. May I pray with you now? Lord, I wanna thank you for every person who's watching or listening to today's message. Teach us, God, how to find deep and lasting, soul-quenching 
satisfaction in you and not in worldliness, not in consumerism, not in our own selves. Teach us how to avoid these traps. As Isaac redug the wells of his father, the blessings of God were all over him. And you blessed him in the land. He didn't leave. He didn't jump ship. He didn't go to where it was more convenient or go to where it was more comfortable. But he stayed where God told him to stay. And in the middle of a famine, you blessed him a hundredfold. And you gave him that beautiful well at Beersheba at the end of the chapter. Yeah, he had tough places. Yeah, he, he had to go through a few wells and he went through some hardship. We'll go through hardship. But in the end, it was at Beersheba that you really blessed him and you held to your oath. You held to your covenant. Hallelujah. And you'll do the same in us. You're not going to let us down. You're not going to abandon us. You'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. So God, I pray that you'll give us the spiritual strength and the wisdom to remove the dirt, remove the rocks, remove the mud out of these access points to God and let prayer and the word of God and all of these wonderful things, Lord, let it bring the purity of the water of life that it will satisfy us all the days of our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen.